We are continuing to study for the third week the issue of lead us not into temptation. This will be the last week that I deal with this subject, but I think it's an important subject uh, and I wanted to be able to make sure that we understood it. And, and if you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 6, as we read Jesus' prayer one more time on this issue. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from evil. And so as we've studied in the first two weeks, we've noticed how uh, when we understand the word temptation, it's a, a Greek word in the Greek translation refers to both trials and temptations. And we indicated to you that Jesus is not praying that God delivers us from trials, because trials are the way that God gives us Christian character. As we go through trials, God is affirming us and sanding us and grinding us down and lifting us up and changing us so that we can become the kind of soldiers in the faith that he wants. We learn about our weaknesses, and as we address our weaknesses, God strengthens us and restores us. And so we spent time talking about what trials are. Now I'm speaking about temptations, temptations from evil brought about by Satan, both through the lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, but also from external forces as Satan seeks to destroy your faith, to take you out of the game, to ruin your ministry, to ruin your testimony in every possible way. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to take you out and knock you down. You're saved. He's not going to take you out of God's hand, but he's going to ruin your effectiveness for God. And that's his plan. That's really what he wants to do. And so I want to go back and again read uh, one of the last verses that I read last week as we continue to move forward in the study this week. And that is the uh, Second Timothy chapter 2. Please turn to that. Second Timothy chapter 2. Verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. When we are called to resist Satan, it's un we need to understand exactly how we go about resisting Satan. You cannot use as an excuse, I'm just flesh. The devil made me do it. I tried. I'm weak. I have these weaknesses in my character. I have all these flaws. God knows I have flaws. And then we fall in temp into temptation and we think, you know, God is just going to give you a pass. It's okay to fall in tem into temptation. But I'm going to tell you today, God does not want you to fall into temptation into temptation. He's going to do everything that he can to give you the tools to keep you from falling into temptation. Because as Christians, we need to stand out as leaders. We need to separate ourselves. And so this verse tells you exactly how God expects you to live. Flee the evil desires of youth. What does that mean? That means the lusts, the lusts of the flesh. That means your physical appetites. Uh, uh, the, the issues about money. And I'm not saying it's wrong 
to want money. There's nothing wrong with trying to work hard and, and get some wealth, but don't become obsessed with it. Don't sell out everything in your life for money. Don't make money your God. Fame. That's a youthful desire that many of us still have. Fame. Oh, I want to be acclaimed by the world. Oh, I want to be acclaimed by the church. Oh, I want to be acclaimed by my BLG. I just want to get acclaimed. I want, I want people to know about what I'm doing, how special I am. You understand what happens? Look, it's great to want to work for the kingdom, but don't do it because you want to be famous. Don't do it because you've got this appetite for fame, because here's what happens. When you have that kind of appetite, you are going to be subject to temptation. And that's what he's telling you right now. Uh, and so self-will, that's another part of what I would refer to as the youthful uh, indiscretions. Your will is so important. Your will, not God's. I'm wearing this wristband that my Monday morning men will all be given, which this wristband says, Lord, I submit. I've been working on a study there, and if you've heard it on, uh, on the radio station, I've been working on a study called Submission. And this is, Lord, I submit. On the other side, it says, his will, not mine. And we're going to turn these out and give them to the men so that they remember. It's a covenant. Lord, I submit. I learned to submit. And that's what the issue is here. Your will. Well, I, I know best about my life. I know the direction I want to go. And you understand, this is what leads us into temptation. Impatience. Oh, wow, you can't even, you can't even go to Publix. You can't even go to Publix. First of all, you can't even drive in the parking lot of Publix. Some of you are trying to lose your salvation in the parking lot. You're, you know, you're doing your best out in the parking lot. Then you go in at the cash register and you have another stroke. You know, and you understand that. And, and so here it is. You're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to be living to a higher standard. And what's happening? You're subject to temptation. Evil thoughts are coming into your mind. Where do they get these people at the registers? What kind of incompetence? Where do these people learn to drive? You know these issues are going through your minds. You have to pray, God, give me patience. Maybe I should just stay home, lock the car up. Don't even get out of the garage. Wait until everybody goes home. It'll be safe May 1st, you know? <laughs> I mean, maybe you're better off doing that. You understand? But the point of it is you understand God is speaking to you. These are occasions of sin. And you're going, oh, come on. Really? Yeah, really. These are occasions for sin. And, and Satan knows it. He knows where your weaknesses are, so he knows you're impatient. He knows that about you. So he's going to come and deal with you exactly on that issue. And pride. There's another youthful issue. Pride. Oh, pride. Well, I'm, John, I'm not a prideful person, but I have my standards. There's certain things I will do and there's other things I won't do. And yes, if the church wants to use me, it's okay, but they have to use me the way I want to be used. I have certain things that I want to do. No, I can't be an encourager. Uh, I have to be a deacon. But then if I'm a deacon, I need to be like the head of the deacons because I have leadership. You understand what, how pride comes in even in church? In church, you're in church and your pride is coming in. And pride is, again, another opportunity for Satan to destroy you. Because here's what, he got, what, what he's saying here in this verse. When you read this verse, not only are you supposed to re remove yourself from these issues of temptation, but you're also supposed to draw yourself closer to holy people. 
Flee the evil desires of, of, of your youth and, and attend yourself to righteousness along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It means to congregate with people like here, to go to a BLG, to be with people that pray for you and affirm, affirm you. When you're in a hospital, they come and visit you. This is what God wants you to do. This is part of how you resist temptation. Do not be a lone ranger. Don't think, well, I don't need that. I can take care of these issues on my own. I don't even think I need to go to church. I can read the Bible at home. Why do I have to go to a church? After all, I'm going to go there, and after a while, all I'm going to hear, they're going to start pitching me about money. They're going to start preaching about tithing. I'm sick of hearing that stuff. I'm just going to stay home. I'll read my own Bible. That's right. You're going to stay home. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to read. There'll be nobody affirming you, nobody lifting you up, nobody praying for you, but you're okay. And what do you think? Soon, very soon, temptation's going to be at your door, and you'll have nobody there to warn you, nobody there to speak to your heart, nobody there to pray for you. This is, how, this is exactly how Satan works. And so, I mean, this is why God is speaking to our hearts and speaking to us and telling us exactly what we have to do. And so, as I continue to uh, emphasize this, God also tells us how we are to prepare our hearts to continue to res resist temptation. And frankly, this morning is another example of where Hayes seems to get a hold of my notes before church starts. <laughs> I gotta really lock these babies up. Romans chapter 12. Have you heard that before? I kept looking at choir people who were in the early morning class and they were giving me the eye. Yeah, that's right. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. But you're going to hear it from a different perspective. Because I'm going to use Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 to speak to you about how these verses keep you from temptation. That's what this is about, resisting temptation. Hayes used it for a different perspective. I'm talking to you now, Romans 12, 1 and 2, about how Paul is speaking to us today about resisting temptation. Verse 1, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What a beautiful, beautiful phrase. Offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. Why? Because of the amazing grace that he gave you, that he saved you, that he took you up from the muck and mire of this world, from this evil, sinful place, and saved you for life everlasting, and you can't give him a thing back. Nothing. Except yourself. Except your body. And what God is saying here to us is make your body a living sacrifice. Now, if you make your body a living sacrifice, you do that, you recognize that there's no sacrifice too great to give God. And so if you devote yourself for the rest of your life and say, I'm going to give my body back to you, God, as a living sacrifice, do you think you're going to fall into the same temptations that you would have fallen into years ago? No, because there's going to be a whole list of things 
that are not even going to come near you to tempt you because you've dedicated to making your body a living sacrifice. When you get up in the morning and you pray and you read scripture, you're going to be thinking constantly, making my body a living sacrifice, presenting it on the altar to God. And when you do that, many of the physical desires of the flesh, the, uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that's not going to affect you now. Sure, you're still going to be tempted, but you're closing the door on a whole series of temptation. And so what we recognize that love so great as Jesus gave, as demonstrated this week on the cross, love that great demands my all. And what does it demand? It demands my body as a living sacrifice. And so continue to read this verse, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Please circle in your Bible, underline conform. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What does that mean? It means you live in an evil world. The society in this world has been created by a sinful man. Man has created this society. And so we as Christians cannot conform ourselves to the norms of this society, to what's acceptable, to the standards that are acceptable. And this is a big deal for us to understand because we live in an evil world, but we're not supposed to be conformed to the world. And there was a growing up in my very fundamentalist evangelical church, they used to say a word, they would, what I would hear was this phrase, which would still make the, the hair on the back of my neck stand up. We have to be a peculiar people. How many of you have heard that in your churches? We have to be a peculiar people. What did that mean? That meant no makeup, no dancing, no bowling, uh, no fun. What have I left off? No cards, no movies. This is how they focused on this is a peculiar people. Folks, that has nothing to do with what God meant in being a peculiar people. Here's what being a peculiar people is. Righteousness, honesty, integrity. Can you imagine being in the world, being in a place where it's filled with sin, and yet there's a person, a man and a woman, who stands for the righteousness of God, who when there's injustice will stand up and say, this is not right. When they see someone who's needy, will stand up and say, I'll write a check, but you don't even know who those people are. It doesn't matter because God touched my heart. This is what God wants. This is what being a peculiar person is. Not this nonsense about makeup or all these issues, these legalistic issues that we've, we've buried ourselves with and forced people to leave the church over these issues. In fact, understanding the greater understanding of God, that he wants to focus on the truly important things, and so be not conformed. That's what it means, be not conformed. Stand out for Jesus. And as we stand out, we're resisting temptation. Yes, Dorothy? Okay, you agree? God bless you, sister. I, I appreciate that. I can use all the agreement I can get. Amen? Amen. 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 So continuing to read, to read this, be not, be, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There it is. You want to resist temptation? You want to be in the world and not be conformed to the world? Then you have to transform your mind. Well, how do you transform your mind? With the word. 
through the Holy Spirit. And you get up, you go into the Word, you read God's Word, and you pray about it, and you reflect on it, and you consider it. And as you do this, as you do this process every day, God is lifting you up and restoring you, and you are being transformed. Your mind is not on the world. Your mind is not on the societal issues. You're not thinking like the world. You're thinking now the way God wants you to think. And look, this doesn't happen overnight. Don't say to me, oh, I don't understand it. I've been in this Bible study since January. I haven't really fully gotten there yet. Folks, I'm 63 years old. I'm still working on it, all right? And I was born in the faith. People always say to me, well, when were you saved? Well, pretty much when my parents brought me home from the hospital. <laughs> all right? I have no recollection in my life, and I know there's others, other of you here that are saved. I see you laughing. And, but I, really, I have no other recollection in my life of accepting Jesus Christ. That was it. My earliest recollection, going to Sunday school, reading Bible studies, understanding what Jesus is about. And yet here I am all these years later and I still, still am learning and, fi and finding these issues to be uh, stumbling blocks for me. That's how, God, that's how it works. Your flesh. And when you're flesh, this is what you have to live with. And so you understand when we read these verses that we are still going to be tempted. And so what does it mean? Well, John tells us that. The temptations basically come from the lust of the eyes. I see it. I'm drawn to it. It attracts me. There's a whole set of sins like that. Oh, look at that. I really would like that. I, and then what happens? And how does Satan go next? Then he goes to the lust of the flesh. Oh, my eyes see it. I want to touch it. I want to hold it. And then the pride of life. What does that mean? It means, you know what? I'm in control. I can look. I can even touch, I can go there, I can affiliate myself, but I will not fall into temptation because I'm a stand-up guy. I'm a Christian. And you know what? That's pride. That's the pride of life. And what that means is you're just setting yourself up for a fall. And that's exactly how Satan works, exactly how he sucks us in and, and, and draws us in. So if you turn to your outline that you have, Turn to point 10 as I want to continue to work my way through this outline. And so we can only resist Satan and submit to God through a life dedicated to the Lord. What does that mean? It means we must spend time in the word daily, reading of scripture. Turn with me, please, to John 15, Gospel of John 15. And here's Jesus speaking to the, to the disciples. And look what Jesus said. Start in verse 1. John 15, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Underline that. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That's the power of the words of God. Through the words of God, through scripture, in a sanctified basis, when you pray, the word will clean you daily. Yes, you've given your heart to the Lord. Yes, you're saved. But as we've talked about this daily act of sanctification, as you constantly review your life and pray and confess 
and read the word, the word itself will, will uh, sanctify you and will help you to stay away from temptation. That's what this is about. How do I avoid temptation? Turn to Psalm 119. Again, another example. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word. I have read your scripture. I have prayed over your word. I have put the word in my heart. I hold it in my heart. Why? So that when I am tempted, when Satan comes against me, I can raise the word. I can use the word. The word will deflect will help me, preserve me, to keep me. But if you don't go in the Word, what do you have? You're defenseless. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. First, uh, before we turn to verse 17, look at verse 10. And Paul here is explaining about the armor of God. What we need to do, because we live in a sinful word, world how are we going to protect ourselves against evil against satan himself well look at verse 10 finally be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes stand tall against the devil don't give up don't give excuses don't be a whiny christian don't go saying, oh, I'm weak. I'm weak. I have certain weaknesses. I have certain proclivities. Oh, the Lord knows my weakness. I can't help it. That's not what he wants. He's spending a lifetime with you to strengthen you up. Stand tall against the Lord. Put on the armor of God. Now look at 17. Look at 17, verse 17 there. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the word of God as the sword. It's the sword of the spirit. You want to be able to fight against Satan? It's the word of God that's the sword. That's how you understand the importance of, of the word. God gives you the word so that it can come to you, so that you can use it to defend yourself because Satan is going to come. And, and look, who's the perfect example of this? Jesus. And you look here. As I say in point 11 of the outline, look at what happened with Jesus in the wilderness when he was brought out to the wilderness. Right after when God confirmed this was his ministry. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now he goes out into the wilderness. And 40 days he's out in the wilderness. And by the way, 40 is a spiritual sign of trial and testing. It rained 40 days and 40 nights on, on Noah. And there are other times where you're going to see the mention of 40. Uh, when, when Jonah went to Nineveh and told them that God will destroy you in 40 days unless you repent. And so what you see here, Jesus is out in the wilderness in a time of testing. And after being hungry there and, and not eating for 40 days and 40 nights, then Satan comes to him. And look how God, look how God through Jesus resists the temptation. And don't say to me, Jesus couldn't sin. There's no theological basis for this, folks. Jesus was fully man. He was fully man and fully God. Fully man and fully God, but he gave up 
his divine prerequisites. And I'm going to show you how I, how I can prove that to you. When Adam and Eve were sinning in the Garden of Eden, they did not have a sin nature yet. Right? They did not have a sin nature. They were meant to live forever. They were not meant to die. So they, were not, they did not have the sin DNA that you and I have. It's only because of their fall that we have that sin DNA. So there they were without the sin nature, and yet Satan got them to succumb to temptation. Don't you understand? It's what exactly what he was doing with Jesus out there, appealing to him to try to get him to, to fall and be tempted. And look how Jesus resisted. In every aspect of every temptation, he cited scripture. It is written. And he, and he cites the, the, uh, the temptation. The temptation, first of all, to, to turn stones into bread was a temptation of the flesh. He's hungry. You're hungry. You need something to eat. Come on. Turn the stones into bread for you. That's nothing. You can do that. You understand that? And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh from the mouth of God. And then the temptation to throw himself from the top of the temple was a temptation to gain the world's esteem. This is your chance. Look, you came to be called the son of God. This is your world. You will redeem all these people. Show them your power. Throw yourself off. Uh, and, and it was an outright spiritual temptation. You understand that. Uh, and and, and, and uh, also when he took them up into the heights, to the heights and said, just bow your knees to me and I'll give you this world. And you know, Jesus never said, you don't have the authority to give me the world. Because Jesus knew he did have the authority. This is his world. Don't make any mistake about it. If there's one thing you get from these classes that we're focusing on, don't ever lose sight of the fact this is his world. We are hostile to him. He knows who we are. We have targets on our back. The balance of the world has given in to him. The minority has not. We are in the minority, and make no mistake about it, he's got a target on you, and you understand that, and how Jesus gave Scripture every step of the way in order to confound him and to, and to resist him. And what happened eventually? He left. He left. He flees. And so you understand how, how this works. And so another way of explaining this passage, and that's Matthew 6, 13, is to say, keep us from wandering into paths where we will be tempted by the devil. But if he comes, keep us out of his clutches. But as we make this prayer, we have to have the confidence to know that God is faithful. And, and continuing to understand how God is faithful and lifts us up and wants us to resist. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13. Actually, we'll start with verse 11. And Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. And he's using the example of the Israelites and how God had to chastise them. How many times they fell into temptation. How many times they violated the word of God. And so from reading in verse 11 in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, it's as follows. These things happen to them as examples, 
and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. The fulfillment of the ages is Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross for you, life everlasting, salvation. That's the fulfillment. But God has spent 1,800 years writing the Old Testament so you could see examples of how people fell into temptation, even godly people, even patriarchs, and we're going to study that. And so verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, don't rely on your human will or your human pride. Don't sit there and think, I would never do this. It's impossible for me. I would never fall into this kind of sin. I am a godly man. I am a godly woman. And as soon as you say that, folks, you're just opening the door to pride. That's, that's a prideful statement. And when you get in, when Satan sees that you have that kind of pride, there is a whole series of sin called spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. And you go right down the path to temptation. And when you go down that path, not only do you take yourself, you take other people in the church with you. I mean, it's a very dangerous thing. Verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You're not going to have some special temptation just with your name on it. You're going to have a temptation that's going to be common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's what it means to be a Christian. He's with you. You have the Holy Spirit. He's abiding with you. Yes, you're in an evil world. Yes, you're swimming in an ocean of evil. But God is not going to allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can resist. That's the promise. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This is important. He'll provide a way out. So if you're there and you're praying, and you're in a sanctified state, and you're reading scripture, and you're praying, and your God is part of your daily life, and you somehow fall into a temptation, God will be with you. He will find a way for you to make an exit. But we have to be mindful of this. Don't just think I can stumble my way along, act in any old way, and, and uh, God will protect me. That's not true. That's not what's going to happen. You do not have to sin. Uh, God wants to keep you from sinning. And so if we sin, we are doing so willingly and with full knowledge. And I'm going to give you a perfect example of how that happens with a good man, with a great gifted spiritual leader, David, and if any of you have been watching the Bible series, you'll be able to identify with this section that we're going to talk about. 2 Samuel, verse 11. Bathsheba. You knew that if television was going to make a, a story about Bible, for sure Bathsheba would be in it. After all, you have to get some kind of prurient interest even into the Bible stories, right? Uh, I said in the early class... You know, having come from a very strict fundamentalist church, uh, it was difficult for my father to even preach on these kinds of subjects because he was afraid that some of the older ladies in the church would faint and they'd have to bring the ambulance in. 
but the beauty of being here and being in this time period is that I have no such restraint. If it's in the Bible, I feel God wants us to hear about it. All right? God wants us to hear about it. So here's this subject, and this subject I'm going to lay out for you is about why and how God wants you to avoid temptation. Very simple. So 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Underline, David remained in Jerusalem. Problem. Problem. Here's the problem. I don't want to have to go out with God's people. Yes, I know. I'm the king, and I'm supposed to be out there fighting God's enemies, the Israelites. I'm supposed to lead them. But you know what? I'd rather just stay here at the palace. I'd rather rest. I don't need to be with God's people doing God's will. I can be here. I'm entitled to it. I'm the king. And here's the analog for you. You know, I don't feel like going to the Bible study today. I'm tired. I don't really want to do that. Frankly, you know what? I don't really feel like I have to go to church all every week. You know, it's a burden to get up that time and to get ready. You know, I have to take a shower. You know, it's like I don't... I got all these issues. I, I could read my Bible at home. I don't have to be with God's people. God knows my heart. And so what do you do? You separate yourself from God's people. What does that do? It means that the people who would pray for you are not there. The people that would mentor you and see your conduct are not there. The people that notice you and want to lift you up and warn you are not there. You're by yourself. You're in the palace by yourself. Okay. Let's see what good things happen by being alone. All right? Let's see what good things happen by being alone. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. Okay. All right. So here's the deal. You're saying, well, come on, John. What's wrong? What's wrong with taking a walk on the roof of the palace? I'm going to tell you what's wrong with taking a walk on the roof of the palace. David had a weakness in his life. His weakness was women and sex. That was his weakness that pervaded him through his whole life. And so when he's walking on the roof of the palace at this time of the day, it's about four o'clock, it winds up being for him a pornographic experience. This is David's computer pornography. Let's go up on the roof. It's four o'clock. The women are taking baths. It's exactly what's going on. I'm sorry. That's exactly what's going on. Let me go up there because I know I'm going to see some sights. I'm not out with the people of God. I'm not out fighting God's enemy. I'm up here in the palace, and I'm walking on the roof of the palace, and what do I see? I see Bathsheba taking a shower, taking a bath because it's four o'clock, that's what they do. And what do I have? The lust of the eyes. You see how this happens? How temptation comes in? And, and this is the point of how God is giving you an example of how to avoid it. 
Don't separate yourself from God's people. And then don't go walking up on the roof of the palace. All right? When you're saying to me, well, John, come on. Walking on the roof of the palace, I don't, you know. We don't have that down in my end of town. You know? Well, here's the thing, folks. If you have an issue with alcohol, would you go into a bar? Oh, I didn't think of it like that. That's right. Would I go someplace where I know where my predilections are exposed? Would I go there knowing I'm going to be tempted? Would I go there? Of course not, I wouldn't go there. And as I said to my, my Monday morning guys, if I knew I had a problem with vulgarity, would I play golf? <laughs> Am I making my point? So let's continue to see what happens here. I open myself up to temptation. I open myself up to evil. Yes, I'm a godly man. No question about it. I'm a prophet. No question about it. From my lineage, Jesus is going to be born. Well, there's no question about it. The greatest king in the history of Israel. No question about it. But I'm subject to temptation. I'm subject to evil. And so continuing on with this story, he got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Oh, oh, problem. Oh, oh, you've just reminded me. She's your wi Uriah's wife. Oh, and if you saw the the uh, television programs this past week about Uriah, they were accurate in that sense. He was a godly man, a loyal man. He wouldn't do anything inappropriate. He wanted to advance the kingdom of God. He was unbelievably loyal to David, but do you think David cared? When temptation comes into you and you see the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, you want it. I want it. I can do it. I'm the king. That's the pride of life. I don't care about Uriah. I don't care about Uriah. So what does he do? He brings Uriah home because he, uh, David had impregnated Bathsheba. And now he had to cover his sin. And this is what happens. You see how temptation gets worse and worse and worse. Not only now do you have one sin, the sin of adultery. Now you've got to have compounding sins. So he brings, brings Uriah home. And he wants Uriah to go and sleep with Bathsheba so he can cover up the pregnancy. But you know what? Uriah is too godly a man, too loyal a man, while his men are fighting out in the wilderness to go back in, in, in luxury and sleep with his wife. He refuses. He sleeps outside of the home. Oh, this is a problem. This is a problem. Oh, my lies, my, all the deceit I cooked up is not working. I need to go deeper into the deceit. I need to go deeper into evil. That's no problem, because once you start sliding down the slope, hey, this is an easy thing to do. What's next? Simple. That's exactly what it is, a slippery slope. What's next? No problem at all. I'm sending Uriah back with a note. Give it to the general. And the note says, put him in the hottest spot of the fighting, and when things are at their worst, withdraw and leave him there alone so that he can die and be killed. This is disgusting and disgraceful. And David will pay a price. 
Because we all pay a price for our sin. Don't think you escape. Yes, God forgives us. God forgives us, but there are judgments, even judgments in this world for the actions that we do. And so Uriah is murdered. And so what happened? A walk on the roof at four o'clock winds up in temptation, in deceit, adultery, and murder. This is God's warning to us that even good, godly people fall into these issues. And so we need to understand how dangerous it is and how God is speaking to our hearts about this. And so from his failures, from his failure to turn from temptation, resist evil, look at the destruction that, he, that, that occurred in his life and that went on and the, the child of that union was, was taken home and died. I mean, the evil continues, the pain continues. And what happens? It's not just your pain. Don't, here's the other thing. You think that, well, if I do something bad, if I'm tempted, it'll just be me. Wrong. It's not just you. You're married. It affects your wife. It affects your children. It affects your church. It affects your relationships. Everything starts to get sucked down a drain because you allowed yourself to be open to temptation. And so here's what I want to say to you. The child of God does not have to sin. God himself provides the means to overcome or escape the, trans, the temptation. The phrase, the devil made me do it, is completely untrue. For us, I don't buy it. You understand, I don't buy it. God has given you the ability, the will, to, to be able to resist. He's given you the prescription on how to do it. And so you have to understand what we face with, with Satan. And one of the things that struck me about the television series that we're watching is when they had uh, the vision of Satan tempting Jesus, uh, it was a hideous figure. If I were the person that was producing the program, I would have made Satan an unbelievably attractive figure. I would have made him a charismatic, beautiful uh, personage who would really be the kind of person who you would say, ooh, that is attractive, that's interesting, drawing me into him. And I wouldn't make him this ugly, uh, pitchforked, uh, horned being, because that's what it is. And so we have to understand that Satan's very nature is to tempt. That's what he does. That's who he is. Jesus called him a murderer and a liar. That's who he is. Uh, and, and so right from the beginning of time in God's creation, that's what Satan has done. And Jesus recognized it. And right, Jesus recognized exactly what, how Satan worked. Uh, Jesus saw how Satan would tempt Peter. And how Peter, who said, I will never, I will never forsake you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. You will deny me. And when he said that, Jesus said that Satan desired to have Peter. And to sift him as wheat. Can you imagine using that phrase? Sift him as wheat. And so we have to recognize that Satan knows our weaknesses. When David went up on the roof at 4 o'clock, why do you think Bathsheba just happened to come out there? Because Satan knew the weaknesses of David. That's why he was up there. And so you have to understand this. Be aware of your weaknesses. Be aware of where you're particularly susceptible uh, what your issues are in your life. Ask God to strengthen you 
to restore you, to lift you up, to protect you, to keep you from those kinds of things. And so in that very aspect where, where Peter was going to be tempted and would fail, uh, and Jesus knew that he would pray for Peter, that he would bring Peter back, and that Peter would strengthen, would strengthen his brethren. Turn with me also to 1 Peter chapter 5. Another good section that deals with how Satan operates. 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll start with verse 6. <clears throat> Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He's walking around in every aspect of your life like a lion, waiting for someone to be separated from the prey, waiting for someone to be the lone ranger, waiting for someone to be where they shouldn't be, waiting for the opportunity to pounce on him. And look what he says here in verse 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And that's the point. You're not alone in this. You're a member of God's kingdom. You're attached to Jesus Christ. Resist Satan. Don't give the excuse you're just human. He doesn't want you to be just human. He wants you to be godly. He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to stand tall against these issues and to stand up and, and, to, and to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we understand that. And so part of understanding what this means is that Satan even will do his work within the church. Surprise. Even within the church. How will he do that? He will turn members away from God in the church through sin. He'll destroy the church and make it less effective. How? How can he do this? Here's how he does it. With apathy. With false teachings with appeals to pleasure, with gossip, with slander. Can you imagine? Gossip and slander in a church. When you sit there and you start reflecting on how this things and how, how Satan comes in in the church and, and it can begin to undermine and destroy a church, how easy is it? Oh, how easy is it? You know that, sister? You know, I saw them over there and... I'm concerned about them. I'm concerned about what they're doing and where they're going. Do you have any facts? No, I don't have any facts. But I just got this impression. I just don't like the whole thing. And now you start spreading the slander and you spread the gossip, right? And it's like a little cancer and it grows and it grows in a church. It grows in a church. It gets worse and worse. And really, you see how it can wreck an entire church. It can come down. And then you, you, know, and then you even see it. How, how it starts when you start carping about the sermons. You know, I'm sick of these sermons. I'm sick of these sermons. You know, you know we're all like this. I wish he would get a, he'd go on a different topic. I'm disturbed about this. And you understand exactly what happens. The poison comes into the church. The poison comes. You can't even come to church and be free of Satan. Really. 
You can't even come to church and be free of Satan. I'm warning you. God is warning you. This is a pervasive issue for us as Christians. Don't ever think you're immune. He's warning you this morning. He's telling you what you have to do, how you have to get close to the cross, how you have to really resist him in every possible way. And, and this is a warning that, that really, I, fail to, I think so many of us fail to understand. And, and I'd like to close with Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18 to 21. And I'm actually going to read this out of the uh, older King James Version because I think the language actually is more poetic and it's how some of you would have remembered this, this, these verses. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 51. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful, unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things under, unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Make yourselves a living sacrifice in every aspect of your life, Draw closer to the Lord, read scripture, pray, sanctify every day, resist Satan, resist him in every way and God will be there. He will not fail you. He will stand there. He will give you a way out and you will be able to say at the end when he sees you, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words that we have heard today. Lord, these are your words. These are your warnings. Lord, make us be ever vigilant as we go out in this world and we are tempted and we know we're going to be tempted. Lord, deliver us from temptation. Keep us away from temptation and let us be sober and vigilant as we come across these tendencies, Lord, because we know that if we do that, you will give us a way to resist. Lord, I ask you to be with these dear people this week to make us especially sober this week as we contemplate the magnitude of the sacrifice you made for us, Lord. I ask you to protect them, bring them back this week for all the services on Friday and on Sunday, Lord. We put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. Happy Easter.